Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to On The Bench. It's been a little while since I've hosted this uh, specific podcast, and no pressure, I got the OG of FSU podcast here with me. It's Bud Elliott, 24-7 sports national recruiting analyst, a content producer extraordinaire, also co-host of the Nolcast. Bud, welcome to On The Bench, sir. Uh, do, do you know that uh, the Nolcast is sponsoring On The Bench unofficially now? Did Were you aware of that? I heard that we're working on the effective date, I think. Um, uh, okay. But if, if you guys are a local company that wants to sponsor on the bench, like I, I feel like we are in a position we can, we can run that through now. If, All right. Uh, if, if, if you guys are, are, you know, if you want to reach out on the bench does absolutely like I, I manage our podcast network on the bench does absolutely great numbers. They're one of our, our you know team shows that are seriously passionate about the product. We're going to have them up on video soon too. So some added value there and uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. So definitely reach out, hit up, who do you want to hit up, Snone or, or, or me? Well, if it's liquor, hit up Snone. If Definitely. it's food, hit up me. I mean, that's how this works. And if it's other than legal services, I can weasel my way into that pretty good. Gotcha. If it's uh, – uh, what, what would Newberg be? Uh, yoga. <laughs> well, no, he, um, cut, he cut the hair. New, I, new age stuff, I guess <laughs> is how we'll term this. Um, C- CBD, yoga. Do you guys remember the puff? Was it puff and snuff? Puff and stuff at the mall back in the day? <laughs> I wonder if they're still around. We'll take their sponsorship money too. <laughs> oh, uh, well, thank you for joining us, Bud. And you heard Chris Knee's voice as well. And and I have a a keen mind of of football uh, aficionados here, FSU football aficionados, to kind of go over a topic that we've we've touched on periodically this off season, But I want to do a deep dive into it, and that is Florida State's schedule and the path to what I view as a very important numbered FSU for win total, that's six wins. The path to six wins. Some people listening to this right now are going to be rolling their eyes uh, because they they think seven, eight wins is far more realistic. Uh, but we're going to get into six wins, what Vegas says, what some of the analytics say, and why we think that that is a number that FSU should be reasonably striving for. Before we get into that, though, uh, there was a, a bit of a buzz the last two days on the interweb about FSU and its association with realignment uh, and it ends with FSU president uh, Thrasher coming out and, and basically squashing it. So real quick, uh, this started on Monday when a Mark Ryan from he does radio up in, in the Clemson uh, Greenville area. And he said, quote, per a reliable source, Clemson and Florida State have reached out to the SEC about joining the conference. The SEC is concerned that streaming numbers for Clemson plus Florida State don't bring what Oklahoma plus Texas do. Notre Dame is the only, quote, free agent left that would add to the pot. Uh, before we get into President Thrasher's response, Chris, your general thoughts when you first saw that, because I know you were doing a lot of thread locking uh, people talking about this topic. I mean, it's a radio guy throwing out a rumor. And it just it reads exactly like a radio guy throwing out a rumor would read. So I just didn't put a whole lot of credence to it. I, I just hesitate. Do I think FSU and other schools are talking behind the scenes? Sure. 
Yeah, that might be true. I, it would kind of surprise me if there's at least not conversations being had because there is a great deal of uncertainty in college football right now with realignment coming back to the forefront. But there's so many hurdles FSU would have to jump. Grant of rights begins that conversation. Money's locked up to 2036, and it's an insane amount of money. Uh, the other one would be if FSU is going, say, to the SEC, and the SEC's annual value per school is, we're just going to use the figure, $60 million. Does FSU bring about $60 million additional dollars to them versus other possibilities? And same for the Big Ten and so on and so forth. And that's a big question I think a lot of people avoid. I, I think the reason Notre Dame is appealing is because, yes, they certainly for definitely the SEC and even for the Big Ten would bring about X amount of additional dollars that makes it sensible for them to be school number plus one of what that conference currently has. I don't know that FSU does, and that's not demeaning FSU, but in the SEC, the footprint that FSU fits into is already covered by multiple schools within that league. So I don't know if it does. I think more so FSU, Clemson, et cetera, fit the idea of expansion solely if a conference is trying to push towards X amount of total teams in their conference, essentially making an aggressive move towards a super conference idea. If the SEC and others are trying to get to, say, 24, then yes, a school like FSU and Clemson, because of their capability of being a national power, and one of one of those is currently a national power, and the other one's less than a decade removed from being a national power, they would make sense. But I, I just think it would very much surprise me right now if FSU is at the top of the list of schools that mainly the SEC and the Big Ten want. That's my view on it. Okay, that makes sense. Bud, do you have anything to add in there basically about FSU realignment real quick before I get to President Thrasher's comments? Sure. So I, I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons why you can just totally disregard this report, right? Uh, number one, it comes from a radio guy. I can probably count on one hand the number of radio guys that I would trust to have some kind of report with this. And those are people who are typically going to also be tied to, you know, like a national reporting outlet. Uh, as far as I know, I don't think this guy traffics in actual reporting. They're and he said later it wasn't report. It wasn't a report, too. He came of back. Course. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing is he classifies FSU and Clemson as free agents. They're like the opposite of free agents. They're like extremely expensive agents. As, as our friend David Hale pointed out, it would cost over half a billion dollars in grant of rights fees to get the two of them out. So they're like the antithesis of free agents. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I do think the one thing FSU has going forward, going forward, uh, is that while markets, as far as geographic markets, are still important, they're not as important as they used to be. Uh, you know, I gave the example on Cover 3 the other day. I don't think that the Big Ten uh, would do the Maryland and Rutgers deal if they had to do it from today. At the time, it was a great deal for them because it got them into the D.C. market and into the New York market. But now with cord cutting, um, you know, people who don't watch sports, right, whoever that demographic is, they don't have to pay that dollar thirty a month for the Big Ten network or for the SEC network. So I think increasingly... The, the number of actual eyeballs on a team uh, matters much more than it used to, as opposed to where that team uh, is located. And I, I guess the other thing I, I would add here uh, is that, no, I, I don't know that the, at Florida State or Clemson would, would add $60 million to the SEC just organically from their own interest, although it might be close. But, you know, since the 
if ESPN could not have to support the ACC network, for instance, if the SEC could somehow come and take, let's say, six teams away or something like that, and you got to figure the, the per year value for a lot of these teams in the ACC, just based on what we've seen from the Big 12 reporting, is probably like nine or 10 million a year if you wanted the true value it, just based on you know kind of what we've seen the estimates thrown out so far for the Big 12. It might be worth it to the SEC's TV partner, ESPN, to just consolidate into one network that has to pay for, and then it wouldn't have to pay for the ACC stuff, uh, potentially if the league could collapse. But that's that's pretty far-fetched. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out a way where it would make sense for the SEC if they didn't just want to get to a certain number of teams, as I, I think Chris very very you know, astutely pointed out here. Okay, so, so this rumor, tweet, whatever, kind of does fan the flames. It was what it was intended to do for – for a day uh, and Clemson had a couple of, of their media members come out and basically refute it on Monday evening. And then Tuesday, uh, I thought it kind of died down and I didn't think anyone was really talking about it, at least on our message board. It didn't seem like it was being talked about a ton on Twitter. I could be off on that, but FSU comes out in the late morning and releases a statement from president John Thrasher. Now president Thrasher has already done an interview with the Tallahassee Democrat basically saying that FSU needs to be ready if people are reaching out. So it has kind of articulated that like, yeah, FSU is keenly aware of, of the the footprint, the landscape of college football is changing drastically quickly. President Thrasher is also uh, about to no longer be the president of Florida state uh, sometime this month. Uh, his, his, he, he retires. So this is what the statement read quote, I want to be clear that persistent reports that Florida State has been in contact with the Southeastern Conference are untrue. We've had no communication with the SEC or any representative of the SEC. That was a comment. That was it. Fellas, I have been trying to think about this for about 24 hours now. What's the motivation for sending out that comment? Like normally these crazy rumors that are out there are just allowed to kind of fester for a little bit and then die and die off well, organically. I, What's the motivation for doing this? I think some of it is his initial statement to the Democrat of not wanting to be left behind. So clarifying um, a little bit because that was run by some publications to take that and run with it, I guess, last week. Yeah. So I, I think it's just a matter of, you know, trying to, the first comment left behind is saying financially, we need to keep up with the Joneses mm-hmm. is how I took that first comment more than anything. And that's whether it's still in the ACC that the revenue needs to be greater or whether it's in this new grand landscape of college football that we believe eventually we're going to get to, whether that eventually is in 12 months, 2026, 2037, who knows? The timeline for that is kind of an unknown. I think the second comment is more to say nothing is imminent and that, you know, we're still a healthy partner of the ACC. I mean, we, we see the bloodbath going on in the Big 12 with, Texas OU leaving them standing behind state senates or standing before state senates and having talked to them and dealing with their fellow presidents and chancellors and ADs. I think the ACC as a whole, especially with FSU and Clemson at the top, because they are the two most name worthy schools in the league, are trying to show a unified front, is how I viewed the two statements. Do you think he got his hand slapped by the ACC? That's what. The, the most logical conclusion I came to, Bud, was that at someone at the ACC said, "Hey, can you get out there and and I presume, I presume they're talking to Clemson throughout this whole process because they got to be dancing partners if any dance is going to happen. 
And I'm not saying I expect something to happen, but if it does happen, they need to be latched to one another. It's Mm -hmm. valuable for both, I would say, to be latched to one another. It wouldn't shock me if uh, Dan Rakovich or somebody like that kind of had a conversation with him of, hey, can we do that? Yeah, I, I, my thought is kind of, if I'm the ACC, I'm, <clears throat> I'm telling Florida State, hey, if you guys are going to jump, do it and pay us your $250 million each. If not, shut the hell up. You guys know you don't have that kind of money. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to get out of this league. Just, just you two. It's great that you're willing to feel calls, I guess, but be quiet about it. We're trying to find some way, some Hail Mary to get Notre Dame to come into this league. Um, you know, it's essentially, do it or hush up because you guys making noise about wanting to leave the league is not going to help our case for telling Notre Dame this league's going to be great. You know, come come join it. Um, or alternatively, if you could somehow get enough teams to leave the league where it basically you know collapses or something, then go ahead and do that too, guys. But like, don't just be out here saying stuff. I I, I think the that's the only that's the only reason you released this statement, right? Mm-hmm. Because you had to kind of correct yourself for the for the previous one. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird scenario. There, there's three in play. You talked about, Bud talked about the far-fetched one, which is basically, you know, the, the ESPN deciding we're going to have one supreme network idea. The other one is basically a coup where from the inside you explode and the grant of rights falls through because so many people are willing to jump ship together. And the third is basically big money at play and somehow you get bought off, but that's a ton of money. And I don't know that FSU, individually speaking, is worth that money to anybody else. And uh, I guess the fourth one is that the ACC gets better, gets stronger, adds Notre Dame as a football partner, and can improve its current revenue, which is probably the most important one in the reality of the situation because FSU, as well as everybody else in the league, is locked into this deal through 2036. Notre Dame's just so – from everything I can gather right now and the way – like what's valuable to them, that's such a hard – thing to envision is them joining the ACC uh, or, or any conference really, unless it's just super appealing because they have, they have so many options right now as a, as a legitimate free agent. Uh, yeah. When you don't have to network. share the pizza, you're real happy right. that you own the whole pizza. Exactly. Also, don't you think that the other, t- uh, the other leagues that form the playoff committee, uh, you know, as far as like the, not, the, not who decides who goes in, but like the, the people who make the rules about, about the college ball playoff and the expansion, the people who are not the ACC in that, they have a real incentive to keep making a carve out for the Irish so that Notre Dame does not join the ACC, right? Like they don't want to see Notre Dame join the ACC. They want to keep allow, like kind of playing keep away here and allow Notre Dame to keep getting in at least through the 2036 deal. So they'll, they'll have a shot to bid at the Irish when they come up in 15 years. Like I, yeah. I think that they have incentives to purposely not make it you know tough on, on the Irish. Yeah, I mean, I think the Big Ten, because it's a natural fit for Notre Dame, them. And then with the SEC at this point, it's a national conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, their move to Texas and OU, plus the expansion of previous years for them, show fully that they are comfortable with having a team in middle of Indiana be in the Southeastern Conference. <laughs> Geography was kind of starting to die uh, through the last uh, round of realignment. And now pretty much at this point, I think that's the next step is geography won't matter. At all. Um, real quick, Byers Sinone, we will not have to talk about realignment as it applies to FSU for at least the next month after this. It'll be quiet. Byers Sinone. As 
Bud is the guest on the show. I'll let him go first. I think I provided, uh, I think the way I phrased it means that you can answer it both ways and it would not. I'm, I'm Sononi. Uh, I'm going to buy it. Way. All right. Controversy. I, I'm going to buy it. Like, cause you said the word have, which means like, I think you guys may choose yeah, to, to talk true. about it, but I feel like there will not be another event that makes you have to talk about realignment within the next month. Cause yeah. we're going to have this big 12 lawsuit. Probably not going to have the playoff push through within the next month. I don't think. Yeah. I think so too. I think the timeline, I forget whether I'm buying or Sononing my own question there, but I'm with Bud on this one is how, how I'm I, ready. I guess I think you I will mean, talk about it, but like, I don't, yeah, think I think we will talk about it, which is why I Sononed it. But with Green and Wright hanging over the head of everything, until there's a way to circumvent that, I just don't think it's a legitimate discussion involving FSU. It seems highly unlikely that there is a way to circumvent or any other right ACC squad. Okay. All righty. So let's get into this the path to six wins. I, again, I'm, I'm I could feel people boiling up as I talk about this and getting angry at what six wins and not liking the headline. But real quick, fellas, the Vegas predicts FSU set the over under at 5.5 wins. The ESPN FBI currently has, as a football power index, has FSU at 5.9 wins, 6.1 losses. So six wins is kind of the sweet spot and actually in some ways consider overachieving of Right now, if I could throw this out to both of you, if I could say right now, FSU guaranteed six wins this season, would you take it? You don't play any, you, you, I, that you can't win any more than that. You won't lose any more than that. It's six wins right now before we start the season. Would would you take that? Yes. Yeah. Why is six wins an important number to get to in your mind, Chris? I know we talked about this off air before, so I, I asking this knowing that you believe it's an important number, but why is six important? One, it shows progress over the last couple of years. Two, it makes you bowl qualified and kind of ends that discussion of why your season ended in the end of November. And three, I think that the bowl is pretty important just in the sense of more practice for a very young team. And hopefully you finish the year with a win because I don't expect them to win that last regular season game at Florida. But if you play a bowl game and you win, you go in the offseason with the seven wins because of the bowl. And suddenly you have this good feeling about yourself. And I think that's a positive for the program to springboard in the next year. And all of that success wise success falls into the same category as keeping that recruiting class. That's quality together. That's going to make you a better team in the future. Six wins, but it would be improvement as well, right? Like I think people, some in the fan base are having a hard time understanding that six wins would absolutely represent a step in the right direction that Mike Norvell could sell on the recruiting trail. Correct. I, I think so. Um, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot in the early signing period era, right? So 2018 to 21, no team that finished with fewer than six wins going into ESP. So like we're not counting bowl wins here, just the regular season. No team that had fewer than six wins assigned a top 10 class. Like I really believe that Norvell and company have a chance to sneak into the top 10 if they can make a bowl, right? Like, like they, they have the good setup. They've really worked hard. They've laid the groundwork. I've, I've been very impressed with what they've been doing in recruiting. But, like, I don't think they're going to end up in the top 10 if they go four and eight or five and seven. Like, I do think that the round numbers, the ability to sell, hey, we made a bowl, tangible progress, we doubled our win total from last year is is a nice thing you can tell kids on the recruiting trail. Um, You know, this was not a good team last year. They went three and six, but they honestly, like, they would have been three and nine if the the games on their schedule had not been canceled. Like, they, I mean... They didn't have to play Florida. They didn't have to play Clemson. And I really don't believe that they would have been able to beat Wake Forest uh, last year. Just 
that it would be real tangible improvement. I mean, Vegas has him five and a half. Bill Connolly has him 5.4. I think FPI, like you said, what, 5.9. Um, there's a reason that number's at five and a half. Like they, I, I think it's it's very important for, for a number of reasons. Yeah, right. to add to that on the six and six idea, I think there's context to six and six too. Mm-hmm. If you lose six games, but you're ultra competitive, say in four of the six, that says a lot about where you're at because last year you lost six games, only won three, and you weren't very competitive in most of those six. So I think there is context to even the losses within the column. And obviously people look at win-loss and very simply at numbers, but I think recruits and people that are trying to figure out the track of a program, if you're losing close, it usually means you're pretty close to maybe turning that corner to some degree. I think that's also an important part of it. And I think we're all on the same page that that showing that growth in winning games is going to be really important in what you're selling to recruits and what is a really strong class right now. It's currently ranked ninth. Uh, Chris mentioned on the last podcast, like there's a path to finishing close to the top five if a lot of things break right. But that I think, uh, I'm not even going to say I think, I'm confident that the staff even knows that they need to win about seven games or so to get in that category to land some of these big guys like a uh, Kevin Coleman. Um, so this staff is aware that winning six games, seven games is important. Uh, real quick, bud. So if I got to give you like like a percentage chance of finishing in the top 10 for each win. So for like what percentage chance would you give FSU to finish with a top 10 ranked class if they were at six wins? What would you give it? Probably, I don't know, 50, 50, I think. I was, I was going to say 60% chance. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I think it's fair. Yeah. Uh, if they finish with five wins, what would you say they have a chance of, of finishing with the top 10 class? I think it drops a lot. Um, probably 35% maybe. Okay. Now, it's still doable, I think, because of the, of the unique nature of some of the relationships they have this year, because they are able to get a lot more kids in that sort of 200 to 450 range, right? Where I think some of their success there is a direct result of some other staffs not having the scholarships to give. Mm-hmm. And FSU is cleaning up this year in that regard. Like they have room for kids right now that some other staffs don't. And these kids are good players. They're not taking guys rated 900 in the nation. Like there, there are some dudes, not top 100 guys, but some of those lower rated four stars, real high rated three stars are falling to them because they're able to say yes and other staffs aren't just going to have room. So I think they can get into the top 10, even if they don't win six games, it's probably not, you know, odds on. Yeah. Adding to Bud's point, I think retention of the class is a stronger possibility in part two, because he mentioned relationships. Travis Hunter has been very good as a lead recruiter. He's also that main dog in your class. That's kind of the point to guy. A.J. Duffy, your quarterback's a very good recruiter in his own right. Pretty good personality, especially with offensive guys. A lot of the guys are kind of in a lock, like, for example, Julio Skinner, who could potentially end up in the class, Kevin Coleman. They're hearing a lot from a lot of guys, including Travis Hunter. A lot of the O-linemen have recruited one another. They've, they've kind of been a group in a recruitment sense. So it's one of those things where I think it has the ability to stick together. But the converse of that is that, If, you know, there's a crack, you know, God forbid Travis Hunter was a jump ship. That's a horrible statement for them. Or A.J. Duffy gets cold feet and goes somewhere else. Well, good God, you know, late in the quarterback game, you don't want to be in that situation. And those are all negatives I don't want to think about at this point. We're getting way too far ahead of ourselves. But it's one of those things where I think it has the ability to really stick together as a group. But conversely, it could also fall together to fall apart as a group because of some of those relationships, which is a bit of a concern. But again, I think 
there's a reality of the situation that's been planted in the minds of these kids as recruits. I don't think FSU's selling a 10-win team. I don't think they're selling even an eight-win team. I think they're selling, we're working really hard to be better. You guys are also a key piece to us being better long-term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have to show them that we are getting better in order to, to take that next step and get them on campus. And Chris, you uh, yesterday, two days ago, you, you aggregated an article from CBS Sports that came out and put together the top you know, 130 teams and ranked them all. Uh, remind me, where was Flor- on Florida State's schedule, and that's the other part of putting together this six win total and why that's important. The schedule's hard because how many of those teams were ranked ahead of Florida state uh, on that, on that ranking list? I know it's a preseason ranking list, but still just for context. Well, it only ranks 11 because Jacksonville state obviously doesn't fall into it. FSU plays the number two team in the country in Clemson. They also played a number one thirty team in the country. Congrats, UMass. Well, Bill. Um, yeah. Sorry. So Sorry, UMass, well. I believe it was UMass Syracuse were both behind FSU. Wake was, I want to say just ahead of FSU. Obviously, Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida, UNC, Miami, we're all in the top 15. Mm-hmm. Five of the top 15, number two to number 15, I think, within that group, to give you context. So that's five games that seems very difficult for FSU to be expected to win. I think in total, there are only three teams behind FSU, four if you include Jacksonville State. Okay, so let's go down the list here real quick. I know we've got only about 20 minutes left of, of Chris Need time before he goes and gets nice and, and haircutted for a, a big week coming up. By the way, Can I folks, ask a quickie? Yes. Just a, yes. a real quick one. John Barber Shop is where he gets Do you think this, there. like, to go back to the NCAA video game, I know we probably all, all, all played it back in the day when it was a thing. I still you could play hit, it. You, you could hit simulate the season, right? If, if you told this staff, hey, you can have six wins, no more, no less, do they take it? Like the same question you asked us mm. and just simulate the signing day. Yes. Yes. I think I so think too. Yeah. I, we'll get into this when we talk schedule, but the back five of that schedule is insanely difficult. Brutal. They could lose out. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's All right. A, sorry. It's sorry. Tough... Sinone. I just figured out that. No, like, it's a good... What do you think the staff feels about this? No, it's, it's true. And I don't know if, um, you know, obviously they would never admit that or say that. And I am confident the staff does like, no, again, that six win threshold is important for keeping the class together. The one thing I will say is they also know that like getting, if they could overachieve beyond that and get to seven wins, that that all of a sudden makes a top five class realistic. And that makes getting Kevin Coleman, Jaleel Skinner, that gives you that extra firepower. And it's so crazy to think of like one win can like make a difference between like Bud said, 50% chance for, for a top 10 class. If you're at six, 35 to, to five, you know, if you're a five win team, but it is FSU's living in a very like interesting area here where just one or two games, one way or the other, really changes up the context of the season. Yeah, and that, Notre Dame game carries more weight than any. That's that. thank you. That's where I was going to go. Yep, you're bringing in a boatload of recruits. We expect at least a dozen official visitors, if not more, for that game. You're bringing in pretty much everybody that's already committed to you, in addition to some of your top targets, the Coleman's of the world, Jaleel Skinner's of the world. Presumably, uh, Nigel Kelly is expected in, for example. Mm-hmm. Marvin Jones Jr. maybe shows up as an unofficial. He's later in the season for an official. You win that game. One, you set a great tone for the season in the sense of how you're going to be written about. Two, you've got center stage. You're the only game on Sunday, national audience. And three, emotional decisions will be made. So, yeah, that that game can be such a tone center setter and such a uh, kind of a jumping off point for them where suddenly the whole six and six conversation diminishes. People are going to be, you know, throwing out crazy numbers if they beat Notre Dame for possibilities for a year. But I think the reality is it just it, it it's good vibes, mm-hmm. just good vibes. And I think it's one of those things you can ride 
And obviously, I already mentioned, I think the back half of the schedule is pretty brutal from a week to week to week basis of just trying to deal with that many quality teams. And good vibes is something this team really hasn't, this program, excuse me, hasn't had to start a year. Even 2016 was the last time they won a season opener. And no one feel, felt great about that because it was you had to come back against Ole Miss. And then a week or two later, you had the USF game where they looked sluggish. And then you had Louisville. So like there hasn't been like a good start to a season since, what, 2015 probably? Um, it's been a while. And the Notre Dame game does carry weight going back to like 2019 against Boise state in that opener. We talked about in the podcast, remember back then how big that game was in terms of establishing momentum. And I remember thinking that a loss would lead to more than one loss. It could lead to two, three losses and really change the complexion of how we think of, uh, the, how that season is going to unfold. I don't think a loss derails Florida state's season by any chance because you're going into that game against Notre Dame as an underdog it's probably gonna be a loss a blowout loss would be difficult though I think if you hang in within I think the spread's about 10 points right now if you keep it within single digits uh that gives you something to to build on uh, a little yeah, when, bit when I arrived in Vegas it was nine and a half and I'm all like, right maybe I'll do it which is by about the time I left Vegas it was ten and a half and I, I'm like I'm not doing that so let's go down Ooh, the list here ten and a half, ten and a half? yeah I think it was 10 and a half. might have been 10 even, but it hadn't moved up from nine and a half. Uh, See, that got Bud's attention. That's one of the big reasons why we have Bud on the pod is because I know I got the gambling mind here and he's going to be able to go down these games in a way and break it down in a, in a way that's different than than myself or Chris can do. So let's go down the list here of a, each game, kind of give our own predictions of what we think is going to happen and see if we can then try to work backwards to see if we can get to six wins for Florida State or, or how that looks. So going to Notre Dame, FSU, Chris mentioned nine and a half, 10 point underdog. Uh, the ESPN FBI has FSU as a 28% chance of winning, 28.1% chance. Um, so unlikely, not impossible. I'm penciling in as a loss right now. I do think Notre Dame has a lot to, uh, a lot of unknowns with what it's replacing on the offensive line and at quarterback with Ian Book. Like I think Wake Forest is is probably as strong as Notre Dame this year uh, or close to it, maybe a tier below. Uh, but the, like the way those two games are being perceived are very different. Uh, win or loss, Chris, for Notre Dame? I think they lose it. Uh, even though Notre Dame's replacing, I think it's 14 starters. I just think that their talent on the front on both sides of the ball is going to give FSU issues. All right, Bud? Yeah, I I, I, I agree with Chris there. Uh, I Probably too physical on both lines of scrimmage. Um, you know, last year they lost 42-26. If you look at sort of the adjusted game score stuff, only a 1% chance of victory there for last year's game, 24 points adjusted scoring margin. So to me, that suggests that that game was not as competitive as the final score indicates, um, you know, which is, but look, I think if you go do this type of analysis for all these games, you're going to, you're going to conclude FSU goes like three and nine or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like they got their ass, or they got their butts kicked last year. You can year say by, ass on this podcast. You're allowed. You can say right, shit so, too. Like, you know, they, the they got their ass beat by like, they lost to Louisville by 32 and we're going to pick Louisville pretty soon. And if you're going to get to six and six, you probably need to have that as a dub, right? <laughs> right. Like for a team you lost to by 32 last year. I mean, Pitt beat them by what? 24 NC state was never really competitive. Sorry, go, go on. I'm, I'm talking too much, but like, <laughs> no, no, this is no, but you're right. There is a, um, you're having to anticipate a significant growth for Florida state and decline for some of these opponents in order to bridge this gap of where they were a year ago, which get such a weird year. We've documented that so hard to judge in some ways, but yeah, this isn't like, Oh, FSU's a step away from winning three or four games last year. That wasn't really the case. 
the key I'm watching for Notre Dame is last year in the preseason, I, was, I, I went back to my 2020 notes, right? The two guys that they were going, they, they were depending on the most to be the receivers were Braden Lindsey and Kevin Austin. And those guys caught very few balls last year. They were injured for almost all their games and they really didn't make an impact. And it limited Notre Dame's ability to hit explosive plays in a major way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both those guys are back this year. So if they're able to be back and good, I think that makes Notre Dame pretty competitive. If they still can't hit explosive plays, given the, the turnover they have in the offensive line, they might be more beatable. And we'll have to see how that goes in, in the opening night. I, I don't like I'm certainly not rushing delay 10 and a half with the Irish. Uh, I I think I would take FSU getting points right now, just based on the unknowns we have with Notre Dame and the home field advantage Florida State's going to have, expecting that to be 80,000. Like, I I do think FSU keeps that competitive. I just can't bring myself to pick them right now. Such a litmus test for the defense, too. Dreadfully Mm -hmm. bad a year ago. So many issues. Secondary that didn't perform at all. Defensive line that couldn't get home to a quarterback. The Notre Dame game was like – run against Notre Dame. Yeah, that's the – And others. The picture Um, of – so yeah, where where will the defense be after a normal, fairly normal off season, versus where they were last year during the most unusual off season we've ever covered? Okay, next game next weekend uh, is Jacksonville State at home. Win 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 across the board, fellas. Yeah, dub. All right, let, let's move to at Wake Forest. Chris and I are drawing short straws to see who has to go to Greensboro to cover that one. Uh, please beat Chris, please beat Chris. All right, Wake Forest, FSU has a 48.5% chance of winning per the ESPN FPI. But I will start with you. Uh, first off, is this maybe the most important game on the schedule when it comes to, to possibly getting a six? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, if, if you, yes, they, they starting one and two would be very difficult for them to overcome. I think uh, the important note here is Notre Dame or excuse me, not Notre Dame, Wake Forest. They, they announced this on the day that Oklahoma and Texas basically said, Hey, we're going to go to the big 12. So I don't think a lot of people saw this. I was at ACC media day. It didn't even see it at the time. Did you see the injuries they announced when they were there? No. So Donovan Green, who we, we loved at 24-7 sports, had as a four-star receiver recruit, you know, very good receiver in this league, done for the year. Starting right tackle Javante Nash, done for the year. And contributing linebacker Chase Monroe, also done for the year. Um, that's a pretty big deal to me, like to, to lose important players who are multi-year starters for them uh, and key contributors. I'm, I'm going to pick FSU in this game Woo. very slightly. I think it's the most important game for FSU's entire schedule. One and two is devastating if you start that way with the potential of, you know, Louisville is sort of a toss up and we'll get there in a moment, but you know, you're looking at one and three possibly or two and two. Um, 
Wake's going to be a very Dave Clawson-like team. I know that's sort of a cheap answer, but I fully expect them to be what Dave Clawson teams usually are, which is capable of kind of putting up points on the board, but sometimes also not capable of stopping the other team from putting points up on the board. FSU two years ago at Wake is basically when Willie's end of career began officially. Um, obviously, Miami drove that spike home and ended that. So it's kind of funny going back to Winston-Salem and it being such a pivotal game here in the next regime. But it is. It's immensely important. I did not know about the injuries. That is interesting. Wake's one knows that they just don't grab the headlines near enough. There's not a whole lot of coverage of Wake. Truthfully, our 24-7 Wake site's one of the better sites covering Wake. Um, yeah, I, I think it's immensely important. Huggy Hill, 3.30 p.m. Snug, on a Saturday. Snuggy, Snuggy Hill, not Huggy. Whatever. I mean, people aren't just going around hugging each other. So, yeah, what, it's what, important. What, who, who wins? Oh, I... <laughs> early, before I sit down and do the 24-7, you know, eight days out from the game like mm-hmm. I usually do, I'd go with FSU ever so slightly. What is, is there a line on that one yet? Do we have any I early lines? So. I mean, the FBI is saying, I don't know if you have uh, Bill's stats up in front of you. Bill has them at 49%. FBI has them at 48.5%. So they so actually agree there. This is as close to a coin toss as you're going to get. Uh, DraftKings has about 100 lines up for games right now. And unsurprisingly, <laughs> your guys, well, Florida State Wake Forest is not one of them. That's not the so, one that I think is going to move the, the needle. Yeah, um, probably not getting a lot of action on that. I just I can't go with us doing a clean sweep of Wake Forest. Uh, someone has to to be the, the bad guy here. I'll, I'll go with a loss. Um, yeah, I'll go with a loss right now. Because I do, I think Wake Forest is a more established, better program right now. Uh, losing some, some upperclassmen... Who are, who are talented is is tough for Wake Forest because they're so heavily relying on that. So I'm glad you threw that out there, bud. But uh, still right now, I'll, I'll go with Wake Forest because I know what they are. Uh, let's see. Next week, you got Louisville at home. I'll start off with this one. I'm going with the win. I know what last year was. There's no more 2-2 Atwell now. Uh, they lose. I'm blanking on the running backs' names. Uh, Hawkins, uh, Javion Hawkins, they lose him as well. Uh, I don't think... Malik Cunningham is all that impressive without weapons to distribute the ball to. Uh, they also lost Des Fitzpatrick, who's pretty good too, if I recall correctly. So, anyways, I'll go with FSU at home revenge game. Uh, Knowles are now two and two on my book on the season, back at five hundred. Bud, uh, I'm actually going to take Louisville in this one. Um, I, I I think they were one of the most unlucky teams in the country last year. They dominated that game against Florida State. I think their scheme. Uh, really confused the Knowles. Now I have seen it, so maybe they can make some adjustments. But I mean, forty-eight to sixteen uh, is is really quite difficult to overcome in, in my mind. But I give FSU a, a good shot to win it, right? Like to me, this is a coin flip game, just as as Wake is. I if I'm picking, just if I got to go win loss, I'll I'll go go ahead and go loss here. I think their defense will be better. Uh, they pushed FSU around up front last year a decent bit, and I expect improvement on their offensive line uh, from that. So. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and take Louisville in a tough decision. So I I have a weird theory on Louisville. I think it may all fall apart there for them. Um, yeah. You know, I think the Satterfield situation with interviewing for the other job, that becoming public, how that all went about. I also don't think they're near as good offensively as they were a year ago from a talent standpoint. They open with Old Miss, and we all know Old Miss is going to be capable of scoring points in bunches. But again, another team that will give them up in bunches. And they play the mighty UCF Knights 
the Friday before FSU, so about eight days out from FSU. So I'm very interested. I think if they're a one and two football team coming into the FSU game, they play Eastern Kentucky sandwich in between those two. I think FSU has a shot. I I think I'm leaning towards picking FSU. Uh, if I had to, yeah, I'll, I'll go with. I think it's win for FSU that puts them at three and one at that point for me. But I don't mm-hmm. feel good about the back half as I've alluded to several times. We're good. I, you know what? I think Chris convinced me. Oh, with, yeah. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and go go with a win there. I, I just think Louisville, if I had to pick a team in the ACC not named Syracuse, whose coach could get fired this year because it all just goes bad and implodes, somehow I think Scott Satterfield, who I actually think is a very, very good football coach in Louisville, could certainly happen. I just think Louisville is one of those teams where if the ball gets rolling the wrong way, they're not going to be able to stop it, and it's going to get real, real bad, real, real fast. And FSU could be the one that very much helps that negative cause for them. All right, moving on. You got to make them earn it too. Like they killed FSU with explosive plays last yeah. year. Like, yes, it, I mean, we'll see if, if FSU's defense could just not allow explosives every drive. Uh, <laughs> you know, as I drove up to that game, I remember I talked to both of you guys going up to it, and, and I had this gut feeling. I'm like, man, FSU's had some luck the last couple of weeks. Obviously, they're coming off the UNC game, everyone was really high on them. Uh, but even that Notre Dame game, but alluded to, like, there was a lot of like factors that FSU was playing better but also kind of playing above themselves where they were like Tamar and Terry getting 50, 50 balls. That wasn't really his forte uh, turnover luck, especially t- bunch turnovers early in games. Um, and so I just had this bad feeling going up to Louisville, but then Jordan Travis bounces the ball off of his foot and still scores on the opening drive. I'm like, all right, that's just what this team's going to be. And then the rest of that game happened and I had to drive home um, sad, but I bought some bourbon on the way back. So everything was fine. Syracuse the next week, October 2nd, uh, we can go by this quickly if you guys all think. I clean win for Dub. me. Dub, Chris, yeah. right. Dino Babers, farewell tour. Love that man. Oh, um, next week, oh, possible revenge game here for Sam Hell and Mac Brown at UNC, October 9th, 21.7% chance for the FPI for Florida State. I'll start us off. I, I think that's UNC is going to be worse than it was last year with all the, the skill players they lose on offense, even though they bring back Sam Hell. Uh, I still think they'll put up a lot of points though, and still be a good team. Maybe just not quite as effective, probably better on defense. Uh, top 20 team for sure. I think that's a tough road game for FSU. That's a loss for me. UNC by two touchdowns or more. Um, I, I expect their defensive line to grow up quite a bit. I, I have this kind of in one of those games where I don't think Florida State's going to be able to block them. Uh, and I still think they'll be able to score plenty. Last year's game, post-game win expectancy, I think 30%, right? Which tells me there was a lot of turnover luck. You know, turnovers being returned for scores or right down to the goal line. I, I don't have this one as one that they're very likely to win. And you're not yeah, catching I, them sleeping. I think right. you both make good points. I agree with Brendan on the offensive turnover there, but I think they've got offensive weapons they're going to figure out. And I think by that point, they're figuring it out. I think defensively, they're going to be drastically improved from who they were a year ago. Um, I expect UNC to win. Uh, it's kind of weird. UNC historically against FSU in games they should win, don't uh, date back to the first Mac Brown regime. So it's kind of one of those weird things. But yeah, I think UNC wins. Tim Brewster was on that that Mac Brown staff back in the day. All right, so halfway through the schedule here, going into the bye week, so it sets up perfectly six games, then a bye week. Let's see. Chris has four and two. Bud has four and two. And I'm at three and three right now. So uh, technically still trending to be in the in 
the race for six wins, actually ahead of it, but as we've noted, that second half of the schedule is brutal, coming out of the bye. Uh, but not the first game out of the bye. The first game out of the bye is UMass fighting Walt Bells. FSU has a 98.4% chance of winning that game. Win, win, win. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. If they lose, how long do you turn your computer off for before you actually oh, get back I on mean, the internet? If they lose to UMass, uh, I don't. I don't even want to get uh, the scenario that Chris outlined with recruits jumping ship and whatever. That all starts. Let's not even go down there right now. This is supposed to be a, kind of a feel good episode. It's We're basketball season. Realistic. <laughs> LA must be nice. If they ship, lose, ship the Ingram is absolutely doing the instant reaction. <laughs> just kind of like on, on his on his PD scotch, probably. Yes. I would imagine. Deep we'll just get it. Zach on. My entire college career is ruined. <laughs> <laughs> All right, October thirtieth, close to Halloween, going up to Clemson. Orange. See what I did there? It's like pumpkins and oh, like. Dabo's gonna so try to put it on. Uh, I don't. What do you think is gonna happen? You think Dabo? Like, you think I'm gonna get killed if I go into that press box? Do you think someone's I, like gunning for me? I think Dabo is going to be as spiteful as a man can be spiteful. <laughs> so lost for Florida State. Yeah. Yes. Lost, and lost, lost. If, if it's a 14-point game going into fourth quarter, Dabo's going to try to make it about a 35-point game. That's how I feel about it. Dr. Dabo! Uh, okay, now November 6th. So coming off of that one, yeah, FSU has a 5% chance of winning. We have NC State at home. FSU currently actually has a 57.6% chance of winning per the FPI. To me, that seems high. I think NC State might be the second best team in the Atlantic this year. Why? Well, they why? I, I ACC kickoff this kept going to my head because I do think BC is the second best team in the Atlantic. Personally, why are people high on NC State? Uh, like, what has Dave Dorn ever done to make people think he's going to exceed what he has done? I mean, because they win eight games every year, and that's and that's just what they do. They, I'll let Bud answer it because I know he's fairly high on NC State. Yeah, as as I was putting together my my all ACC team, um, I didn't have a lot of guys from NC State make first team, but I had a whole bunch of guys from NC State. I'm like, that guy's a pretty good player. Like he's a pretty good player. Like that's a second team all ACC type type player. Like that's a guy who is probably gonna not get drafted, but make an NFL roster. Um, I also think that last year, you know, if you're just using 2020 as a prior, you know, they had Bailey Hockman play a decent number of their games, and Devin Leary was pretty decidedly better. You know, if you project that he's able to stay healthy this year, I think NC State's a, a pretty formidable team. I, I do have them as, as the second best team in the Atlantic, and I could be totally wrong on that. I, I just think there's a lot of dudes. I'm like, shoot, like he's still there. He's pretty good. Like that's a good, but they like got a lot of talented night. team. Yeah, it's not a night. Mecca Meze, they got yeah. a, a nice offensive line. Uh, Josh Wilson's uh, a great player. Yeah, very yeah stud linebacker. They good in the really, trenches. Really nice defensive tackles. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think. FSU, if FSU has a formidable run defense, they can win that game. Mm-hmm. Because I think if you take Zonovan Knight out, who's also a capable receiver, but if you can take him out, give that O-line some issues, I think it's a big deal. Peyton Wilson's the kind of guy that can change a game. You, you got to make sure you don't float one across the middle that he turns into six real quick. Um, but I don't love NC State's defense as a whole. I do like Peyton Wilson a lot. I like some of the guys they have up front. Don't love their secondary. I think they're a team you can attack vertically, personally. I do love Sonovan Knight. Big old fan. I had him first team all ACC at running back. Um, But I don't love their offense as a whole. But I do think they can block it up and run the ball. And if you can do that, it opens up opportunities for other guys who you may not like as much. But I I think that's a game FSU can steal. I'm not going to pick them to. I'm going to probably put it down as a loss. 
but I do think they can steal that. I'm more concerned about BC because I think BC's better vertical team with a better passing attack than NC State. So loss for can Florida I, State? Can I interrupt this real quick? Yep. Um, I do want to point out that if Chris and I are right, FSU will be 5-2 and two on Saturday or on Friday, October 29th, right, mm-hmm. the day before they go to Clemson. For recruiting purposes, this means that effectively that you will have been able to sell excitement and progress for about two months of the season. And even if you were to lose out from that point, which I think is not likely, but certainly within the realm of possibility, I do believe you could you wouldn't finish with a winning record, but I think you could probably hold on. You could start to message to your kids, hey, man, we're really excited about this start. There's a reason why we need you. Our depth really sucks. We're starting to catch some injuries. We got a really tough stretch coming up. I don't know if we have enough depth to survive this, all these back-to-backs. This is why we need you on the roster. I think you can kind of hold on for dear life for signing day because that's only six more weeks that you basically have to sell, right? Mm-hmm. That's why the, the the fast start is important here. I agree. It wasn't Ole Miss kind of an example of that last year. At least they were flashing fun in the beginning of the year, and then they kind of fall off a little bit. I don't remember the win yeah. loss, uh, but but you they were able to sell that even though like they were still about FSU's record, like they weren't a great team by any chance, by any means, but like they were fun and they had some momentum early in the year. That's easier to sell than kind of the the inverse of that. I'm with you. Uh, so, Chris, you have an NC State loss, correct? Yes, but I think it's a scalable game. Yeah. Uh, so, so coin flip territory. Bud, what about you? I have a loss as well. All right. So, I think this is a big game for Mike Norvell in a culture kind of blueprint type of deal. Because at this point, you're coming off what's likely a pretty big loss to Clemson. Uh, fighting about 500 or so. And we get to kind of see at this point whether guys are bought in or not totally to like this program. Uh, do they kind of lick their wounds and, and fade away like they have in the past, or do they show some resiliency and keep fighting? We saw it to the end of last year. Like that was around. I'm going to go with the win here. I'm going to think this is a, a big one for Mike Norvell uh, to kind of really establish like, Hey, we are moving in the right direction. I think it's a, a must win as it lays out in my schedule. So I'm, I'm going with the win here for Florida state at home against NC state brings us to, Another big game. This back half of the schedule is brutal. Miami, the U. Is it back at this point? I don't know. Probably. Maybe. No. It'll change week to week. But Miami, uh, at home for FSU, Seminoles have a 29.8% chance of winning. Um, I think there's a good chance, like a decent chance, that they they could split NC State and Miami. But right now, since they have a win to NC State, uh, I will say a loss for Miami. Bud, where are you at with this? I'm going to go with the loss like that, that gap last year, they were disorganized last year. Obviously it was a really, you know, really weird game, but they still lost by what? 42 points. Um, I I'm, I'm I'll save time. I I have this, this game as a loss and, and not super winnable. Although there are scenarios in which I think maybe if Miami collapses or something, you could, you could get the dub. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm, with, about you? I'm with, but I also think it's a loss. I am interested how Miami navigates that beginning of the year. They could obviously get decapitated by Alabama and Mercedes-Benz soaking the year. Sometimes that just changes the outlook of the entire season for a team. 2017 FSU. It'll be interesting because they got App State the next week, and obviously they're a better team program than App State. But App State's a kind of team that you have a sluggish second week, you come out slow, they can jump on you and surprise you. And then they have Michigan State, who is very much in rebuild mode, but has a coach who can coach some defense and also has the ability to sneak up with you. So – those opening three for them is kind of in an interesting scenario and seeing how it all plays out. But yeah, just on paper, I think Miami's a better team. I think offensively, they got some really good weapons. Uh, I'd take Miami. 
Okay, hurrying along here. I know you have to go soon, Christopher. At Boston College, November 20th, FSU is at 43.1% chance of winning. You're high on Boston College. Obviously, they're, they're a program moving in the right direction. Uh, one of the few teams that had a first-year coach last year that actually showed some signs of, of progress. Uh, where are you at with this one right now, projecting based on how the team's kind of fallen out, uh, how the season's fallen out in, in your pecking order? I think BC has the best O-line in the league. I think Jerkovich is a very talented quarterback with a great arm. Zay Flowers is a big play-capable guy. They're coached well. I think offensively they know how to use what they have. I think defensively they're sound enough, but they're going to allow you to score points. I I like BC a lot. I, I think BC is the second-best team in the Atlantic personally. Um, so I, I think it's a loss for FSU. I think it's more likely they beat NC State than BC. Okay. Bud? I I, uh, I have a little bit different take on BC. I last year their defense was 98th in SP plus. That's the second straight year they've been outside the top, you know, top 90, which like means their defense last year was even worse than FSU's defense if you like adjusted for opponent, which is crazy because FSU's defense was like probably the worst we've ever seen in Tallahassee for as long as we've been covering this team. Um, I don't think they've recruited very well on the defensive side of the ball, but yet I I also believe in Jeff Halfley. So like, how do you square that? You know what I mean? Uh, I think he's a really good defensive coach. Their run game last year was kind of sneaky, not good at all. They they had, I think they were second to last in the country in uh, yards before contact for David Hill. So like they they had a lot of inconsistency there as far as letting guys into the backfield. I I assume they'll get that fixed. I'm not convinced they get the defense fixed. Um, I I have this as a close loss right now, mm-hmm. but like you know this could easily be a game they go up there. And steal. I think FSU can put points on them. The question is, you know, can you contain Jerkovic in the passing game some? Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, talking about their defense, I agree with Bud. I think Cam Horsley is a huge piece of that puzzle for them. Uh, he's a DT. He was very good for them preseason last year, and then it kind of just didn't come together during a weird season. But if he's good, you know, they've always had talented enough ends. They tend to produce there to some degree. But Horsley's the kind of guy that can just crush pockets and really cause issues and stuff up a run game. I think he can be a massive uh, move in the right direction for them defensively. I I like their coaching. I think they're a team that just has the pieces in place to be a better squad. And I think offensively they can be extremely good um, because I think their passing game can be very, very good. And they hide the running game inefficiencies with the passing attack with what Jerkovich can do with his arm because he's a guy that can actually throw to all three levels pretty effectively. Florida State doesn't lose at Boston College when a potential bowl game is on the line. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Adazio made sure of that. Yeah, so for me, FSU doesn't matter. FSU could, yeah, FSU's going to win in in my mind. Uh, I just, I think there's still a a bit of a talent edge for FSU in terms of of pure athletes that, that just seems to to overwhelm BC at times. So it's a win for me. Final game of the year, Florida, uh, 18.3% chance of winning for the Seminoles. I want to save some time here. I'm going to go with the loss. I know there's a scenario in which like things could unravel for Florida. If people get tired of Dan Mullen being a weirdo, which very plausible. Um, But right now, as it stands, Florida is much more established, well-coached team uh, with a, with a good amount of talent to be a top 10 program right now. Bud, what say you? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, absent a collapse from Gators, I really don't see this game as a winnable possibility. Yeah, it's a loss for me, too. We need Emory Jones to be god-awful and a lot of shoes to be thrown. <laughs> okay, so that brings us 
I like that, Chris. Two. Wow. I'm the only one who was six and six. You guys were both at five and seven. If my math is correct, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I feel like I'm at five and a half because I'm very wishy-washy on that NC State game. But yes. Say with so uh, the path to six and six. I, I think this shows how close FSU is to that that cutoff, and we've already documented well why we think that six wins is important and how big of a difference it makes between five and six wins this season for FSU moving forward. All right, so where does it? Uh, I would give you guys this, before we get out of here. How does FSU? What's the path to six and six? Where do you guys make a change? Like, what's the the coin flip game that FSU has to win uh, for both of you? The way your seasons played out. Uh, to get to get to that that pivotal six win that bowl game and, and recruiting momentum but i'll start with you I, it's it's got to be pro- it, for me just based on my predictions it has to be the, one of the regroup games mm-hmm. i would I, I would id nc state as that or boston college as that mm-hmm. right like the you, those are both incredible sandwich spots i mean nc state between clemson and miami boston college between miami and florida <laughs> like you have to somehow convince your kids that the nc state and boston college games matter more because mm-hmm. the other games you're most likely not going to be competitive in. Can they yeah, get one of those? I agree with Bud. Both of those games that he mentioned, NC State's at home, BC's on the road. Um, NC State's coming off a road trip, BC's coming off a home game. So kind of an interesting scenario there. I mean, it's essential that FSU is at least four and one going into NC UNC um, for six and six to be in play, in my opinion. All right, I'm trying to think of a, a funny way to end the podcast. I I can't. I'm I'm nervous because Chris is uh, short for time, so I'm just going to get us out of the, out of this. Bud, thank you for joining us. Chris, enjoy your haircut and your pampering. I will see you in a couple days, sir. When FSU has its kickoff luncheon with Mike Norvell and the assistants, it'll be fun. Bye, see fellas. you guys. See you, bud. See you guys.